morning, everybody. You've got the um, treat of, of me after three weeks or four weeks of Steve preaching. Um, I'll say that tongue-in-cheek. It's not really a treat at all. Um, Suze has already left. She was like, if you're preaching, I'm off. So um, good that, that most of the room's still here. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll have um, heard Steve sharing about the mission and vision of Central Vineyard. And so we're going to be continuing that um, that series and looking at how God wants to, us to join him in the renewal of all things and bringing communities to life in Northampton. Um, we want to seek to be people that would see lives changed uh, through our various networks and neighbourhoods um, by Jesus' love and compassion. And so we're going to be unpacking the, um, what number is it on here, the fourth of six um, topics so hopefully you can see that up here. Steve talked about prayer that fuels mission, communities, networks and neighbourhoods and disciples that make disciples last week. And so this morning we're going to be looking at restoring justice and compassion. God calls us to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. And we as a church want to seek to impact Northampton in terms of justice and address issues of poverty in our communities. We want to see lives changed by our church and by mainly by God and to live with hands and hearts open towards the poor, the disadvantaged and the broken and look for God-given opportunities to serve those most in need. We're really motivated by the example that Christ sets um, and so we're going to be looking and unpacking some of, um, some of the stuff that Jesus did and look at how we, we can do what Jesus did. Um, so first I'm going to be looking at the prophecy that was about Jesus in Isaiah 61 that demonstrates God's heart and compassion, uh, heart of compassion and justice. So it should be up there behind you and you can turn to that in your Bibles or iPads or whatever. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners freed. He has sent me to tell, uh, tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come. For I, the Lord, love what is true and right. I hate immorality, iniquity and injustice. And if you, if you know anything of Jesus, you will know that that's more than just um, practical response to that need. That his prophecy speaks of not just physical poverty that he came to address, but the um, emotional poverty. Thank you, Anne. Um, I don't know where Daddy is. <laughs> um, that people's lives are poor because they don't have Christ as part of that. And the captivity is more than um, prisoners or people who are literally bound captive, but by the things of the world that hold us captive. So our heart for restoring justice and compassion in this town is more than just providing for people's physical needs. Um, it was great to have Chris share with us about um, the soup run and how that, there's two things that go hand in hand, giving food, but also sharing the love of God. And that's what we hope to do in all of our compassion ministries, but also in each and every person's everyday life, that we're not just providing for somebody's physical needs, but showing love, compassion and restoring justice. And we believe that through our networks and neighbourhoods and our service to people who are marginalised, that we have a hope of restoring people's lives through Christ Jesus. Um, and this prophecy foretold of Jesus coming and how he out, we see how it's outworked in the Gospels. Time and time again, he, Jesus brought physical healing, but also emotional healing and brought communities back to life. His ministry focused on God's concern for the physical, social and spiritual needs of others. Across the Gospels, we see that Jesus is travelling around, a missionary um, in his own time, sharing God's revelation, unlocking the lies that had held Israel captive. 
and introducing relationships in place of religion. Uh, The Jews and um, indeed the Gentiles were very much restricted by the boundaries of that time. Um, And Jesus came to transform communities and that's what we seek to do now. He demonstrated deep compassion through his actions and he brought freedom to lives that were broken. And I'm amazed when I I was sort of trying to look through the the Gospels and um, catalogue some of the things that he did. But his interactions with people are really incredible because these were people that he just met there and then but were hungry for more um, and that had heard what he was able to do. They had, you know, got this incredible power and they were desperate for a touch of the Holy Spirit. He healed men with leprosy, um, cured everything from fevers to paralysis, cast out demons in adults and children that were demonstrated through um, physical and psychological sort of outbursts um, that show that they've got demons, opened blind eyes, um, got people to speak who were previously mute, brought two children back to life, and in two events fed over 9,000 people. He calmed two raging storms, and I'm sure he did much more than that. But the interesting thing is he never turns anybody away. Uh, Whatever he was doing, he was never too busy to be interrupted by somebody's request. He isn't repelled by people's infectious diseases or their social status or the mess of people's lives. The list of people that he interacted with would have been isolated, uh, rejected, dirty, outcast, contagious, destitute, acting all kinds of crazy. And he overstepped the social boundaries um, and the rituals. He turned up mid-funeral parade and brought somebody back from the dead. He healed somebody on a Sunday in front of all the religious leaders who were telling him that that just wasn't appropriate. Um, he wasn't afraid of his reputation being brought down by people who were um, superior to him. He just did what he felt he needed to do and shared love, forgiveness, healing and stood up for justice irregardless of what people would say about him. He sat with outcasts, invited them to meals with him and accepted their gifts, the blessing that they were, despite people saying these aren't appropriate people to be hanging out with. He saw the person behind the problem and put others before himself. Um, in Matthew 8, we see the first time when he heals, or the first time it's recorded that he heals somebody from leprosy. And the man approaches him and says, Jesus, if you're willing, um, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and he said, I am willing. He said, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. Um, When I was um, quite small, I had really severe eczema and had to go to Great Ormond Street and to the hospital um, quite regularly and be bandaged up. Um, I looked a a little bit like a mummy, um, all bandaged up, and sometimes couldn't walk when I was at school. And obviously this stood me out from, from my friends and peers when I was in sort of reception year one. And I have clear memories of being told to line up for, to go into assembly. Children would hold hands and nobody wanted to hold my hand because I'd got something that stood me out from somebody, you know, from everybody else. And despite the teacher sort of saying, you know, it's not contagious, you're not going to catch it, um, people wouldn't want to hold my hand. And so this really speaks to me um, of that Jesus reached out and touched him because I'm sure, you know, like myself, I really craved that physical affection and wanted to be normal, wanted to just be like everybody else. Um, and this leper probably hadn't been touched by anybody in the last few years, if ever, depending on how long he'd had the leprosy. So for Jesus to reach out and actually touch him probably did far more healing in him than actually curing him physically from leprosy. The act of compassion um, just really you know, it's really evident in that moment. In the same way, we see God's heart of compassion when Jesus interacts with the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Um, Later on, we can read this in Matthew. And 
Um, it's, you know, she'd suffered from chronic, chronic pain without any relief or hope. She'd invested all of her savings into it and would have been completely alienated from society. Um, they'd have had much stricter rules then about sort of living outside, literally outside of the camp, outside of society. Um, so probably she wouldn't have had relationships with people or friendships um, and would have been completely outcast. Um, and if, you've, if any of you here, and I know some have experienced a long-term medical condition, you know the desperation of anything, just, you know, if the doctor can offer something new, anything, please, to cure that. And that was the desperation that she approached Jesus with, of, you know, I've got some hope that maybe this man, if I just touch him, um, he can make me well. Um, and so we, we sort of read this in Mark 5. So he, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. He was already on a mission for compassion, and it would have been <clears throat> perfectly acceptable for him to, you know, just go there. He doesn't have to heal anybody on the way. He's already on a mission to raise a child from the dead. But he, he allows himself to be uninterrupted by this woman. And he you know, records that he says he's felt the power come, come out of him. Um, but instead of just ignoring that and, and plowing on his way, um, he looked and stopped, um, looked around the crowd. And he would have known exactly who that woman was. Um, but he goes down onto her level. Um, sorry, first of all, she, she approaches, he says, who, who touched me? And she says, the fright says, the frightened woman, trembling at the realisation of what happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she'd done. And he said, he, he sort of goes down to him and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And that phrase, daughter, um, is only used a few times in the Bible, but we see Jesus used um, quite a few times of him actually approaching somebody as a father um, and not a superior. Um, I was looking sort of like the, the origins of the words, um, and it would have been more normal for him to use um, sort of a word that would have been along the lines of like slave or um, young person who's inferior to me. But he uses daughter, a, a, sh- a sign of compassion, of love. Um, of actually showing some understanding of her desperation and her situation. And then he says, go in peace. And this is the same kind of peace that we see offered through the Bible for us, the peace of the Holy Spirit, the peace that passes all understanding. What Jesus offers her in that moment is not only the physical healing, but that love, that compassion of, you know, your life will be restored. It's all about the renewal of lives, about bringing the marginalised back into society. Her life would have been changed from that moment. She would then be able to be welcomed back into the community, to build friendships, to um, you know, have family, to have a livelihood. She would have been part of society just from that one touch of Jesus. And he grants her peace um, and promises, you know, things are going to be different. Your suffering is over. And we see the compassion of Christ um, really reflects God's compassion. It's the distinctive quality of God. It says in Psalm 116 that he's the God of all comfort. In 2 Corinthians, it says he's the father of compassion. His compassion has no limits and he encourages us to be the same. We love because Christ has first loved us. So our compassion, our expression of God's love must naturally go outside of all boundaries, across religion, race, culture, ethnicity, social status. Um, in Luke 10, we see uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of you will be really familiar with. But what's happening here is that the lawyer's asking um, God, ask, sorry, asking Jesus, um, who, who is my neighbour? Who do I really have to love? And what he wants is, in, in Jewish society, everything's very bounded and set, and he wants to just know which group of people do I actually have to get involved with, which ones do I have to love? 
and he's looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card. He wants Jesus to respond, well, you're a lawyer, you know, you live in this nice part of town, your neighbour is that person who, you know, lives down your street that's got a good job like you, um, he keeps his roof terrace tidy and he always hoses down his donkey on a Sunday. Just smile at him when you go past, that's all you need to do. Um, but Jesus just turns this round completely um, and blows it out the water and he, and he broadens it in saying, actually, you know, your compassion, your love for your neighbour is not just the person that's like you, it's the person that's least like you. And that just shows God's heart of compassion. It's not about loving people that are like us, that it's a safe choice, but it's looking outside of ourselves of people that are nothing like us. So we cannot love God and not love those people that God loves. He loves everybody, so we're kind of then handed the the commission that we need to love everybody as well. And that means, you know, that he loves you equally to he loves that that mum who's at Tesco at nine in the morning with five kids in tow who all look like they've been given Smarties and she's still in her PJs with a hair a mess. Uh, No, Tammy, I'm not talking about you. (laughs) But the person that you probably, you know, would quite naturally sort of think, oh, I'll give them a wide berth or I'll join the other queue in Tesco because they look like trouble. God loves them just as much as they love you, as, as he loves you. And so that means we need to love them too. But how do we show compassion to people that are nothing like us? You know, it's quite easy to like people that are like ourselves. Um, sometimes it's not even that easy to like them. Um, but to like people and show compassion to people who are nothing like us, we might think, where do I start? How do I even get involved with people? Um, and this can be as simple as saying hello to your neighbour and rather than just saying a quick hello and rushing to your car, stopping and asking how their day is. It could be giving your coat to somebody who's homeless rather than just offering them you know, whatever spare change you've got in your pocket. Maybe sitting on the floor and having a conversation, asking what they really need. Is it a pair of socks? Is it a cup of coffee? Is it you know, the new hat that you've just bought? Um, what is it that they would need that you can give them? It's being bold and offering to pray for somebody um, you know, if somebody's walking through town and on crutches, you might just sort of think, oh dear, that person's obviously had an accident. But there's an obvious thing that you could actually approach somebody and pray for. It could be buying a bag of shopping for that young mum at the checkout. It could be inviting the lady who lives on her own down your street in for a cuppa and making time to, to listen to her. Or it could be coming along to the food bank and listening to um, people's situations, what's going on in their lives, that are very different from yours, probably problems that you won't be able to fix um, and that you would have no idea where to start even if you could, but just being able to listen. Or working with an ex-offender um, in a mentoring project through um, C2C. There's so many opportunities through this town and it doesn't even take you to you know, go outside of your street to show compassion. Compassion is both an attitude and an action and if um, you're around in October you might have heard me speak about faith and action being, being as one and Micah 6.8 gives us that mission that overflows from the sanctuary to the streets. We can't do justice, act mercifully and walk humbly just within these four walls. I mean we'd just be literally walking around in circles. Um, it's, it's a case of taking that outside on an active mission. So our vision for the church, for for me, for you, for all of us collectively, is to be more like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. Um, We need to put ourselves out there and get mixed up in people's messy lives. And that's, you know, we've we've got mess inside this room as much as we have outside of the room as well. Um, But it's letting yourself be inconvenienced. 
when we really want to join God in the renewal of people's lives, it doesn't really fit into um, the stuff that we do. It doesn't fit into serving on a Sunday or turning up to a connect group on a Wednesday night and after those two hours, you know, you've done your bit of compassion. Um, It doesn't fit into when once a year um, we say, okay, we're going to go out on the streets and do something. Compassion actually doesn't fit into anything. In fact, it's the complete opposite. It kind of messes stuff up and bulges out of your everyday life. It calls you to give money that you haven't got. It calls you to give time that you think is more precious to use for your own stuff. It's, it calls you to, you know, go out on a, on a Thursday night into the cold streets of Northampton rather than sitting in front of the TV with the fire on. It is really inconvenient. And I'm probably really not selling this to you right now, um, but this is, this is what we're about. This is what we, our vision and our passion for the church is about being more than just a Sunday service. And so when we put it into action, we also see that justice goes hand in hand with compassion. Another um, way of of reading Micah 6, 8 in another version is, be fair, just, merciful, and walk humbly. One of the most um, holistic words, (coughs) excuse me, in, in the Hebrew for compassion is, sorry, for justice is shalom. So that means peace, but it's, that's the, um, sort of nearest thing to, to what, um, justice would be. It, shalom means a wholeness, um, a peace, sort of putting things right in, in your life. Um, it, the wholeness would include well-being, security, and the restoration of relationships that have been broken. So the biblical word for justice all relate to fairness, justice, love, hope, and the healing that God can give. Jesus demonstrates biblical justice and peacemaking with a heart of compassion in John 8. Um, he's teaching outside of the temple again. Something you might be another verse you might be familiar with of when the um, lady who's been caught in adultery comes before Jesus. Um, I don't think we've got it there, so I'll just read it. So the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the accident of adultery. He put her, they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said, stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let whoever has sinned first, uh, sinned, throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Um, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Did not even one condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The world assumes that the church is here to judge. Justice and judgment really go hand in hand in the legal um, realm. But we see that Jesus did things differently. He set an example to us that he then reiterates in Matthew 7. Don't judge others or you too will be judged by the same measure that you use on them. He showed compassion first. He demonstrated modesty, humility, care and gentleness. Now, as the all-seeing, all-knowing, perfect God, he surely would have been the only one who could have, could have judged that woman. Um, he could have demonstrated his knowledge of the law and really shown off and put those Pharisees and, and leaders in their place and said, well, actually, the law said this, this and this. And how often have we been tempted to use our knowledge or authority to do that with other people and to gain the upper hand, especially somebody who's always been on your back? But how much more powerful was this compassion that Jesus demonstrates here? 
How much more did that affect the person's life who was already on her knees, humbled and desperate? If he'd have shown his knowledge of the law, it would have had very little impact on her life and certainly brought her death. And it probably wouldn't have had a massive impact on the religious leaders around him because they would have just gone, okay, so he knows something. But what we see here is that this transformed a life and challenged those who thought that they knew best. By joining God in the restoration of people's lives and relationships um, through compassion and seeking to do what's right, we glorify God. Doing justice, and, um, doing justice restores our relationship with God and makes our worship of God authentic. When we choose to go against the grain and take a risk and demonstrate God's love, we draw attention to God. As it says in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and, let, and glorify your Father in heaven. Sometimes we don't see um, that that light comes out of us. We don't see the impact on others, but sometimes we do. And I came across the story of a guy called Patrick Green, who lives in Texas. He's a taxi driver and, and um, has a, used to be an active atheist. He dedicated years to try and um, bring disharmony and problems in the church in Texas. And a few years ago, he was actively campaigning against the religious element of the nativity scene in the town. Um, he started up groups online and networks to try and encourage the atheist movement. And then a few years ago, last, sorry, last year, he contracted um, cataracts in his eyes and needed surgery, but didn't have healthcare um, insurance, so needed to uh, didn't have the money to pay for it, and that would have risked losing his job. So he set up a little campaign thing online called FundMe, um, where people could donate to him to um, help him with the operation. And he thought, you know, get all of his atheist buddies and this network he created could, could help him and make sure that he could secure his job. Um, and a local church donated all of the money that he needed for his operation. And actually, it completely changed his life. He said he was flabbergasted that churches would help atheists. And it actually led him to explore more about what God was. You know, if, if God would do this to, to somebody who'd uh, been campaigning against God, um, why would they be interested in him? And he committed his life to Christ and is now training in the ministry. He told reporters that followed his story that it was compassion that turned his life around. You know, how much more of an impact did the church have on his life than fighting against him with words and knowledge um, and standing against him in his own war? If we're to be God's followers, followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, then we need to be putting compassion into action. We need to model compassion on a daily basis, to seek justice and stand up for the rights of the oppressed. Isaiah 61 that we read at the beginning is more than just a prophecy about Jesus. It becomes personal, it becomes a mandate of what Jesus calls us to do. So I'm just going to go through it again. And maybe you can put yourself in that. So where it says me, read that for yourself. He has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come. Sometimes we're not in the right place at the right time, but sometimes we are, and we can just walk away too easily. If God's put that commission on our lives, that we are the ones to share the good news, we're the ones to touch people's broken lives, then we can look around and wait for somebody else to do that, but actually this is about us. 
uh, quite a brave person who put this into action, a guy called Tony Kampala, a pastor um, and author, and he used to be a spiritual advisor to Bill Clinton. Uh, he tells the story of when he went to Hawaii on a business trip, and due to the flights and uh, messed up times and stuff, he was sort of awake at 3.30 and quite hungry. So he went out looking for, for breakfast, and the only place open was a really horrible, dingy, dirty diner. Um, and he went in and quite quickly decided he wasn't hungry anymore at all. Um, but he sat down with a cup of coffee in a booth and <clears throat> and just thought, you know, I'll finish this and go. Uh, 3.30, some uh, prostitutes walked in, and they were on at the end of their night shift. And he, he sort of sinks down in his booth thinking, you know, I don't really want to be seen here. Um, but he listens to their conversation. And he hears one of the girls, Agnes, say to her friends that, um, or her colleagues that it's going to be her birthday the next day. And they, they take Mick and Jira and say, well, we you know, don't expect anything. Uh, we're not going to get you a cake or anything. And she said, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever expect that. I've never had a cake or a party in my whole life. Now, in that situation, it would be quite easy for us to sort of think, oh, poor Agnes. Okay, and then hope that they go. But actually, Tony did something different. He had an idea, and he spoke to the um, owner of the diner, Harry, and said, Harry, you know, what about us throwing a party for Agnes? Um, and so the next, and they thought it was a fantastic idea. So the next night, Harry and his wife um, have organised everything they need. They've got banners and balloons and the whole party atmosphere, cake and everything. Um, and the words got round, and lots of the other prostitutes in the town and um, other people who probably, you know, he would have been really uncomfortable around, all turn up at this diner to throw this party for Agnes. She walks in the door um, and is just absolutely amazed by it and ends up in tears. Um, and they bring the cake out and um, she, she says it's the first time I've ever had a birthday cake. She doesn't want to cut it because it's so precious. Um, so Harry says, well, you know, you can take it home. And she, she's so excited, she runs out and, and goes to take it home straight away. I'll be back, I'll be back. Um, and obviously it's a bit awkward then because the party's for her and she's just left. So um, Tony's like, you know, why don't we just pray for Agnes? Why don't we just pray a blessing over her? Um, and so he does and everybody respects that. And then Harry, the, the diner owner, leans over to him and says, Oi, you didn't tell me that you were a pastor. What kind of church do you go to? And just, you know, by God's provision, he provides the right words for him to say. And he said, I belong to a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry thinks for a moment and he says, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd definitely go to a church like that. So we have the ability and the responsibility to change the views of those around us of what the church is, and more importantly, of who God is. If the church is going to bring communities to life, then we better stop acting like the church that the world expects us to be and start acting like the church that God calls us to be. And this can be through random acts of kindness or more actively reaching out to the hurt and the broken and the poor, to our neighbours and our friends, and those we'd never imagined to be our neighbours or our friends. As the Holy Spirit works through us to show compassion and justice, our church can hope to bring the restoration, renewal and life into the lives and communities around us. Our mission is to be countercultural. It's to go a step beyond what others would do. I mean, what happens naturally, you're on a train and the, a scruffy man walks in, um, you know, boards the train and he's clearly been drinking. Most people, you know, scoot along a little bit, make a lot of space for him, maybe uh, get your phone out and take a little picture, put it on Facebook, look who just got on my train. Uh, but, you know, make sure that your kids aren't near him. It's, the natural thing is to make a, take a wide berth. In the same way, if somebody falls over in the street, 
I'm sure everybody would like to say, oh, I'd definitely help them up. But, you know, you kind of think, oh, that's a bit awkward. I'm glad that wasn't me. Um, if you've got a friend on Facebook who's constantly moaning about how bad their life is, you know, you just want to scroll on past. You don't want to get involved. Everybody's bored of this. We hear it every single week. When that person in the office is always used as the, the scapegoat, they're always being picked on. Um, you know, the boss always wants to say, their work's not up to scratch. It's quite easy for everybody around them to easily use that person, um, you know, as, as the person that nobody really wants to sort of get involved with them or be seen with them. Um, and actually, it's quite easy to take the mick out of them in the staff room at lunchtime. But God calls us to be different to that. He calls us to be different to what the world would expect. Our mission is to set ourselves apart through expressing compassion. So maybe to move closer to that person on the train. Be the first person to help, give a helping hand to that person who's fallen over. Actually respond to that person you know, who's, who's moaning on Facebook and say, let's meet up for a cup of coffee. Sounds like there's a lot going on for you at the moment. And take time to listen. And stand up for that colleague in front of them or maybe just be different in not joining in um, in the slander. When you experience the unexpected and the undeserved mercy of others, the impact is really long-lasting. And actually then it flows on beyond that moment. And there was a BBC magazine uh, news sort of article that was asking for people's Good Samaritan stories and it logs sort of 10 of them online. And it amazed me because some of these stories, of individual snapshots, were going back like 50 years of people remembering something that had happened to them when somebody had shown them a sign of compassion. Um, and these sort of in- included things like a train dro- driver holding up a train for somebody to be able to get back to see their mother on their death- deathbed. Um, a passport control person coming out of their home um, to meet somebody at the airport who needed to make a- an emergency trip back to India. Um, a couple that took in some young girls that were lost and travelling in Canada and gave them bed for the night. You know, some of these aren't massive things, but they're all showing signs of inconvenience. There are times when somebody else has put their lives out for that individual. And the interesting thing is, every single person, although this wasn't in any way a Christian article or um, didn't sort of say this is the church in action, but every single person who'd experienced compassion then said, you know, that there was a sign of something angelic or something miraculous or that God was present. Um, Even when it's not the church doing it, compassion reflects God's heart. He is is transparent through acts of compassion, even without our words. So sometimes we think, oh, well, if I'm going to go and do something, I need to say, oh, it's because I'm part of a church or, you know, hand them a little leaflet or something. But actually, it starts with just that act, you know, and it can be just a random act or it can be an investment in a relationship that's going to invest into something else. The other thing that um, everything, every person that shared their story uh, had in common was that they then went on to pass on that grace to somebody else. They went on to buy food for for neighbours or um, campaign for the rights of the oppressed or help with bereaved youth. Um, And what that showed me was, you know, that sort of that pass it on attitude. Um, And there was lots of links on this this page about um, different initiatives that have been set up. But I thought, uh, the the pay it forward, sorry... Um, and I thought, actually, this is, this is biblical. This is what God calls us to do. Freely he's given to us, so freely we can give to somebody else. Um, and that's giving through compassion, um, restoring justice. We can be 
a catalyst for compassion and justice in our communities. I know some of you have been doing the 40 acts of kindness. Um, that's been It's been loaded up onto the table each day as well. And some of you have been posting it on Facebook about what you've been up to. And that's through Lent, so just doing an act of kindness each day. Um, so far, people have done things like uh, leaving thank you cards for postmen, baking meals for workmen, sending treats to friends who are having a hard time, making a cake for a neighbour, buying flowers, buying chocolates for co-workers. Um, and the, <clears throat> sorry, the thing is with this church is it's not who is sitting inside of these walls that makes up our church. It's our networks, our neighbourhoods, our communities around us that is our church. And all of those networks and neighbourhoods will be unique to you or to your family. And so just imagine if all of us had been able to commit to that, but more than just for the 40 days, if we were able to commit to compassion and justice and to making a difference within our networks and neighbourhoods, that that would have a massive impact on our town. So to be a church with this identity, to be working towards renewal of all things through restoring compassion and justice, we need to do something both individually and collectively. Um, so, I mean, one of the ways that we do this collectively as a church is through our um, compassion ministry, Restore Northampton. And there's lots, lots of different opportunities to put Micah 6.8 into action, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Um, but I don't want you to go away from this thinking, that's all I have to do. I just have to tick that box and volunteer for an hour on a Monday night once a month, and I've, I've done my compassion, um, and that's it. This is about impacting our communities in our everyday lives. But it certainly does draw us to a place of humility and enables us to act justly and to show compassion and love to people when you do get involved in something that's beyond your own natural friendships and neighbourhoods. I think nowhere brings you into humility more than sitting with somebody who's been made redundant, a dad of five children, who says... um, I've, you know, I've been made redundant and I've got five children. My benefits won't come through for another 12 weeks. Um, and so I'm desperate for food. This is just so embarrassing to be coming in here and having to get food from you. You know, it really does something to challenge your own perceptions of what, what's happening in your life. Um, but also just to <clears throat> realise, you know, actually I've got a position here where I can speak up for the rights of the oppressed and <clears throat> speak up for those who have no voices. Um, when you offer to pray for that person and they say, oh, that would be wonderful. It really is humbling because how often do we take for granted that we can just pray and hope that God's going to sort things out? You know, we get the opportunity through Restore Northampton and through all these other things that I've mentioned to actually be God in somebody else's life, not to be God, but to show God in in these people's lives and their brokenness. And we've been amazed through... um, and feedback distribution point of how open people are to accepting that, um, you know, the offer of prayer. And then they'll come back the next week and say, it worked. Or, you know, that thing that we were struggling with last week, I've really been trying and, and, you know, giving it to God every day. And you think, well, I haven't been doing that about my own stuff. You know, that's really humbling um, to see people's lives being changed um, because we're showing compassion. Or when you give somebody some, you know, tinned food or some food on, uh, you know, through the soup run, and they're in tears, grateful for this, you know, t- can of beans, some spam and pasta. Um, you know, that, and they're in tears because they say, I don't deserve this. You know, I've been addicted to alcohol for um, 20 years and now I've, you know, and I've lost my job and everything's gone wrong in my life. Why are you doing this? Um, 
and you know, we've, we've heard through some of our projects of people saying, why would you do this for me? And to be able to show that love and compassion and to see that God's reaching into people's lives and that you can show grace and mercy, that that's going to have a massive impact. And also, the, when you listen to the conversation between the people that have been part of this and then they're passing that on to other people. We've got now two volunteers who um, have been... Um, have used our services and they now come back and serve tea and coffee and give support to other people that are coming through our doors you know and they're saying you know it's going to be okay this is a good place to be these people are going to love you and support you and you can come every week and there's always something nice happening and there's always some food and you think this person's sharing what's happened in their life because of what God's given us an opportunity to do so I'd really encourage you to think about you know is there a way that you can get involved not just in compassion ministries that we do as a church. Is there something that God's put on your heart, something that you would like to start, something you can do in your own neighbourhood? And anyone can create a mission statement, but for it to mean anything, we need to put it into action. We can't do what Jesus did and have no compassion and justice. This is the fundamental quality of every healing, blessing and talk recorded about his life. It's woven through the Bible from the beginning of time the tenderness of God when he walks with um, the first people in that, in that garden, through to the love letters of Revelation, where we see God's deep compassion and love for his broken church. God's in the business of restoring relationships and transforming lives, and he's good enough to let us be part of it with him. This is part of our journey, our makeup, what we're created for. It's part of our DNA, not just as a church, but literally as, as a people, um, that God wants, that God calls us to be a people of compassion. And we can quite easily turn our backs on that and be like everybody else sitting on the train turning the other way. But if we're going to be God's people, we need to be reflecting compassion and justice throughout everyday lives. And sometimes we won't see that impact on others. And sometimes we'll never know what effect it's had. But sometimes we will. And it's better to do it not knowing what the outcome's going to be than to not risk doing it because it doesn't give us an instant payoff. And when we do things through an act of compassion, when we stand up for justice, it's not even about us anyway. It's not about what we get out of it. It's about reflecting that glory back to God. It's about that person walking away. You know, like so many in the Bible did, they, you know, the lepers walked off. Um, and, you know, you don't know where they can turn anybody, but they're saying, this is what Jesus has done for me. And what an impact could we have on our town if people were walking around town saying, this is what Jesus has done for me, because we've been willing to take that risk and to show compassion and to stand up for justice.